let's, let's talk Black yeah. Panther. You guys have seen it. We can tease that. This Wait, have you not seen it? No, I've not seen it. Wait, what the fuck is happening in Toronto? You guys don't, you don't, guys don't turn uh, out for Black Panther. There is a screening. What day is today? Uh, tonight uh, in in Toronto. But I, you know, for me to go see a screening in Toronto, it's about seven or eight hours of my day. So, um, I Jesus just don't, Christ, I, I don't, I don't see movies. Like You've got to come back to civilization eventually. You've been doing this. Crazy Fuck that! I'm living downtown. I don't do content, my man. This, this is the only content I do. I do not write. I do not edit. I do not watch movies. I watch whatever we're going to talk about, uh, and then Andor because it's the best. Anyway, let's move on to what we're here to do. Hey! Okay, yeah. So, uh, welcome to Podcast X, episode 20. Uh, I was wrong about last week. It was, I said last week was episode 18. It was actually 19. Rob has, uh, was just talking. He was on top of it because the images on Twitter were correct. So, um, he picked up the slack and it, it caused me to realize it was 20. So, this is, this is episode 20. And uh, I am Ben Kendrick. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hi, I am Rob Keys, and yes, I did make sure we have the correct images. Yeah. <laughs> Second time we've run through this now. Uh, and uh, we have special guest Kofi Outlaw here. We all know Rob is on top of those images. We know That's that. right, baby. Yeah, we just uh, yeah we just finished a very like heated conversation about the history of. Secured images on Screen Rant and compressed Rob, images, <laughs> not security. Compre- compressed images, which I'm going to splice in right here because it was pretty fun to talk about that. So, so uh, what the fuck? What the fuck do you do besides create the most annoying dot wep fucking web image system in known creation? What are you doing? <coughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you stealing our, our web, our images? No, you, you, I, I'm fucking calling you out for being responsible for the fact that every time I have to fucking find an image now, it's some person <laughs> trying to fucking upload it as a fucking dot uh, w e w e b. Uh, or I don't know what that, that's not format. No, you started that shit. You a, started that right? shit. I fucking hate that. I don't even know what that is. There's also a dot .avif or whatever the fuck yes. that is. Yes. And, and now I had to, you I, I had to hack my phone. Fuck you. I did not. I'm trying to get rid of this shit. I don't even know where it came from. I, I have to deal with this shit. I have to hack my Photoshop to, to open this motherfucker. I'm JPEGs all day and PNGs. So, no, fuck this shit. I, I didn't create that stuff. I'm trying to get rid of that shit. I think your crazy image protection system. I think CBS or Paramount did this shit, man. It's on you. <laughs> Fuck no, no way. This is on the screen. The internet with this bullshit. SR. This is SR all the way, man. Oh, it's damn, so man. it's <laughs> the number it's your goddamn one browser, man. It's the number I, I, one. I'm gonna industry. send you a video. I literally, I'm gonna, show, I'm gonna do it right fucking now. I'm gonna. Show. As the, literally the number one image stealer from SR, I know these things. I I steal the most <laughs> SR images, and I know this stuff. Like I know what it is. <laughs> You guys are the ultimate. I mean, uh, you guys are great backdrops. I, uh, you know, I take what you do. I remix a little bit, but I know for a fact that you started this to protect your image. Yo, yo, we did not, motherfucker. 
No, this started before we even we were still together. Like you were the most paranoid about you or the most upset about people taking your images, which were awesome. You know, oh, hundred percent. But like, not 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 file formats. I do not want different formats. It it is some. I don't know who created it. I want to say it was like Apple or Chrome created it as a faster loading thing, but it's not a thing. It's still there's still we all exclusively upload JPEGs. Whatever you download is up to. Uh, how whatever browser is is or server host if it's Amazon or whatever is is, is shrinking it. Um, it but, is true. Uh, it is true that like Screen Rant does have that protection system now from Google because I tried. It's to not a protection it. system. It's a, it's a compression system. All right. So now that we've got that out of the way, this week we're going to be talking about. Um, I wonder if you are you gonna actually pull off this editing job before you fucking do this fancy little edit? <laughs> like you actually gonna, is it just is future Ben gonna actually go through and edit this thing like together? We'll see. Do we even have anything to drop there? I don't even know if that recording. <laughs> he's like has he's ambitious and thinks he's like gonna splice this whole fight into that like spot. So if the listen if that comes out, I mean that's gonna be pretty dope and the listeners are now gonna be listening to us like question Ben's editing techniques. But uh yeah. yes, what kind so of show this is. It will all depend <laughs> on whether or not when Kofi got so mad that he pulled his mic out and it stopped recording, whether or not that happened like if that was the cause of the previous recording stopping. If it was, then I have most of it. But if not, oh. then uh then we might not. But um okay. So uh, this week, we're going to be talking about a few different things. We're going to do a preview of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, because Kofi and I have had an opportunity to see it. We'll do a full spoiler review next week, um, once Rob has been able to get to the theater to see it. We're also going to talk about House of the Dragon and Rings of Power, which were, you know, we, the finales kind of came when we were on hiatus. We're going to frame that conversation to try and keep it a little bit fresh by just sort of talking about, like, which one of those shows, you know, we think is doing... Uh, doing serialized fantasy tv better and then we'll wrap up with maybe a few things we've been we've been watching um i know kofi got around to seeing don't worry darling which is something i had previously reviewed on the podcast so might talk about that a little bit um, along with whatever rob has been uh has been doing with his life outside of this no i have something to say about that movie so we'll, we'll talk about that oh okay all right okay awesome so we'll talk about that then uh, so let's start out. We're going to talk about House of the Dragon and Rings of Power first. Um, this will be a spoilery discussion about these TV series. And we we started out kind of in a weird place with these shows because Kofi is a is a well-versed Game of Thrones-ologist. He knows, he's read the books. He knows a lot about the show as well as the world and the lore and some of this kind of like stuff that's sort of written you know, in between the lines of the book. So he's very well versed in that. Rob Keyes went and got to see Amazon's Rings of Powers before either Kofi or I and had some strong opinions about it. And I feel like your opinions have evolved significantly since that time. So maybe we started these we maybe. We started these two series in kind of a weird place. So it's it's gonna be kind of interesting to hear where we where we landed on them. So um I guess let's start out maybe Rob as a jumping off point I am curious, like how your feelings about Rings of Power have evolved since that initial conversation. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, you basically said it was a beautiful looking show, but you you weren't really invested in the characters all that much. And I, if I remember yeah. correctly, yeah, the very first time we spoke about it, I had some very early screeners, and this kind of brought up the discussion point of screeners as an introduction to this kind of media it's very bad right. to give media this first look because a show like this which has 
quite literally an unprecedented level of scale and budget. Um, we shouldn't be watching that in a low resolution, blurry, watermarked, incomplete state. That is not how you launch your half a billion dollar prime video investment, Jeff Bezos's, you know, personal right. passion project. So I came out of that thinking, you know, and I'll back this up by saying I really disliked the Hobbit films, but I loved the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I was hoping for more of the former, but when we saw the, the, the screeners, it looked a little too Hobbit, you know what I mean? Cause of the quality yeah. on top of that, it's, it is a slower start because you're, you, you have four separate stories, whether you're following the Southlands, which has some characters I don't care about, the Harfoots, which don't really have any relevance until they meet the stranger. Um, the happenings in Numenor come a little later, and it doesn't really matter until Gladriel shows up. So it, it's very weird. It, it's, there's so much establishment of this part of, of uh, you know Middle Earth and, and the outcroppings of that, that it takes a while to kind of get going for the pieces to start moving. So you couple that with quality issues, and, and the first couple episodes, I was not in it. But to what you were saying, the characters that were getting all the negative flack, um, and, and a lot of it online is is uh, because the show embraces diversity in, in a much welcome way. But of course, there's all the races online who didn't like that. And so, and, and couple that with some poor marketing choices, especially from Amazon Prime overseas. Uh, and the trailers didn't look good. The introduction to some of the characters were muddled. But the characters that were getting the most flack online before the show even aired, I thought were some of the standouts and best characters when I watched the show. So that was kind of what brought me in. And then when I rewatched the first episodes when they started airing weekly um, in 4K, the proper and probably only way to see this, and I'm sure it would look great on the biggest of screens in theaters as well, um, it was beautiful. I loved it. So the visuals worked, and and now I I, I binged a couple episodes already. So to be able to rewatch that on, on pace, um, I was brought into that. So in, and upon rewatch, I enjoyed it more. I respected it more, but in the back half of the season, I started to love it. And I think by the end of it, this show, more than almost any show in recent memory, has heart. And I, that really differentiates it um, from House of the Dragon for me. So I'll, I'll leave it there. That's a fair, I think that's a fair um, comparison. So uh, Kofi Alla, as the Game of Thrones expert on the podcast. Oh, shit, I'm on a show. Holy shit, let's do this. I, I was I was doom scrolling. What's up? What's going on? I, Have you guys seen this Twitter thing? Oh my god, <laughs> dude! Are you uh are you, are you verified or, or paid verified? <laughs> I never knew what that meant before, so I never gave a fuck. Now, as I was talking to some people, we went to a screening <laughs> last night, and people were freaking out about their Twitter accounts. Uh, I think this this sums it up for me. Um, the other night I was reading my son a story. It was the three little pigs. He's really into that right now. And I got to the part about the brothers uh, who built their house of straw and sticks huddled together in that, you know, running for the house yeah. of bricks. <laughs> and he, I just started busting out laughing and he was just like, daddy, what are you laughing at? And I was just like, don't worry about it. Twitter shit. And like, just kept moving on. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so like, that's how I feel about all that. So, um, yeah, like, yeah, we okay. So, what are we talking about here? What are we? What are we okay, doing? So I want to know. I want. Yeah, so House I of Dragon. Know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, House of Dragon rings of power. I'm sorry. Um, tonight's drink is nothing. I I was at happy hour before this, so I'm coming in hot. So, here we go. Um, House of Dragon and Rings of Power. I have not gotten to talk about this on the excellent program, Comic Book Nation. But uh, so this is going to be great to kind of talk with you guys about. So. I think that, you know, okay, there's a couple things. They're very, they're both fantasy and it's easy to compare. 
I actually wish in retrospect, they hadn't been on at the same time. I wish that fantasy TV had just kind of like kept going, even though they were completely different companies and completely different shows. I wish like one had run and then the other so that I could just keep having fantasy TV, you know, week to week. But that's just me. Um, I think they're very different shows. I think House of the Dragon is very much a much more quote unquote grown up show. Uh, Rings of Power is much more like I could sit down even maybe with my four, you know, four year old. He's can get a lot of things. Maybe not him, but my seven year old definitely and watch that show and and feel okay about it. And even the scary parts, but um, it's much more family friendly. So they're two kind of different shows. I'm not like a Tolkienite and like Tolkien is kind of the weird place where I kind of draw the line because, you know, what we do is awesome, but it's also complete bullshit that I kind of like, you know, made up with you guys and <laughs> we, what we do. So, you know, I don't have in Tolkien is like a PhD researched and studied field. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I never pretend to know like, uh, you know, a bad out to all the Tolkienites, bad out to all the Tolkien PhDs out there. You guys, you guys are killing it. And I never pretend like I, I can equal your level of knowledge in this. So I can, as a dummy, I can enjoy Rings of Power a lot more. I, I don't get tripped up by the whole canon and lore and original, you know, of it. I like the new age reimagining of it. I think Tolkien himself would have been okay with that. Like it's weird in these days and times that like Tolkien and star Wars become these weird lightning rods for kind of these strict kind of traditionalist and, you know, racist fat, like fixations when both of these men, Lucas, George Lucas, guy married to a black lady for many years who bucked the entire studio system and said, I'm making my film the way I wanted. And like, he really, he literally is the rebel and the empire is the film industry. And like, <laughs> he, these are guys who didn't like, they don't play by the traditional rules and they didn't believe in all this weird stuff. You probably believe in like they were, they're radicals and revolutionaries. Tolkien, came back from war and wrote Lord of the Rings and all that stuff to say, you know, fuck fascism. Like I, I never want to live in a world like that. And here's how you defeat fascism because I've been on a battlefield shooting people in the face or shooting at people. And all whole time I've just been thinking about like, how are these philosophies making us kill each other? And here's like the thing I can always say about fascism is the goodness of like everyday people will help you defeat fascism and blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, these are people who had like thoughts about this stuff. So I think they would have been okay with a few Brown people in their fucking lore. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they would have been like, Oh hell no. Like these don't seem like the guys that would have been like that. Um, so, you know, all of that aside, I don't get mad about any of that. And I thought it started slow, but I thought that rings of power came together pretty nicely by the end. And, you know, there were some twists and I thought the twists were good. And, you know, what they ultimately did with the lore, like the Sauron of it all and the wizards and all that stuff, even if it's altered lore, I don't care. Like I thought it worked pretty well and I thought there were good performances and I thought it was a very fun show, like overall, once it got going. And I think it's going to get better because this was the kind of the showrunners are new showrunners. They've never done really this kind of shit before. And I think now that it's established, I think it's going to get more and we've gotten past the initial, like everybody in their separate corners. How does it all come together of it all? 
like I think it's going to be more exciting as it goes along. And by the end where it's going to be like anime, anime is like, like this too. Anime is so fucking slow. Sometimes at the start, sometimes the main character is always just crying all the time or some things are just like, takes a long time to gear up and there's all this mood and atmosphere and shit. But once it gets going, like you, in those later seasons, you don't remember that early stuff or like your complaints. You're like, man, you ha- you're invested. It's been built and the exciting shit. gets really exciting. And I feel like Rings of Power is going to be that. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Let's try to make this next part shorter. House of the Dragon is is the same thing as Game of Thrones. It's just good. I mean, for all the things when people say nothing happens in shows or something like that. Like this show is just a talkie. That's like it's a talkie with a few more dragons. But it, it really does pull it off and, and, and weird time jumps and recasting of actors and shit that is just totally we like – out like we've never seen like but um it worked and it it proves that the game of thrones universe is a universe and is interesting and can really do its thing and it's introduced a whole bunch of new sets of stars to us like millie alcock's a star now um i knew olivia cook because i watched bates motel for a long time but like you know she's now like a really big gonna be a bigger star emma darcy and and it is just really kind of interesting and it's good because it's event tv and it's event tv that seems to be crossing all demographics like there's an entire black subculture of house of the dragon that you can follow every week. And I, and I recommend you do, even if you are not black, you can still do this. And it's called hashtag Dem dragons, D E M dragons. Like, and if you want to have some of the funniest shit you've ever seen about house of the dragon, just watch, just follow that mm-hmm. hashtag. And it's in, in like black Twitter loves it. And it's just, it's crossing. It's again, good to have something to bring everybody together as kind of water cooler event TV, like, like in the be in the, you know, and before in the way back in the true, true times. Remember, remember when we used to do this, like water cooler TV and we all talked about it and everybody, and that was a cool thing. And it brought people together like that house of the dragons doing that. And that alone is good because in the world of like everybody in their own streaming bubbles and shit, it's so hard to do that. And uh, it's a lot better to talk about House of Dragon than it is to all get together and talk about some Dahmer. So, you know, it it was well done. (laughs) And the productions, I mean, you know, this is an early Game of Thrones. HBO put the money in. They need some more lighting effects and shit. Like, we all know that. But, um, yeah. Am I concerned about – I'm less – but here's the thing. I'm more concerned about the – I can never say this word – trajectory – of houses of the dragon than I am of the trajectory of rings of power because I'm concerned about all these create like people in the show, top show runners and executives leaving before season two is, you know, uh, I want to keep my eye on that. If that's a benefit or, you know, a big red flag. Whereas I feel like rings of power is going to get tighter. Um, Also, you know, we did the time jumps and stuff in this season, but like the main crux of this current story is the, the dance of dragons is only like a year or two long, like that conflict. So, and I don't mean like a year or two in seasons. I mean like an actual in universe time, it's only a year or two. So I don't know how long they can milk this. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty about more around house of the dragon in that, 
Like, we don't know what this fucking show is going to be. Like, are they going to just do Dance of Dragons and that's all we're here for? And it's like kind of a shorter event series, like some BBC shit. Or is it going to be the entire run of the Targaryens leading up to Daenerys Targaryen, which is like, again, this is 200 years you're talking about. <laughs> We've covered like maybe like 17 to 20 and like we'll cover like maybe 25 and and so are we gonna do all these other eras because i broke my brain guys and and i did write up an excellent like here's everything you need to know if you just want to know everything between the targaryens between when house of the dragon starts and game of thrones i somehow got sucked down that rabbit hole one day and and did everything and like you know, all the cool parts, at least not the boring parts, but uh, I mean, there are things you could do. There's this whole, you know, by Aegon four, there's like an, a whole league of bastards. He legitimizes that become their own army and band together and become this uprising of the black water. And like, there's this whole other thing. There's a settlement where they finally brought Dorne into the fucking seven kingdoms and by marrying off some Targaryens, like there's a whole bunch of stuff we could do, but th- these are different stories. And, and like, and as a TV show, these are essentially like different TV shows. You know what I mean? Like you're talking a whole new sets of characters, whole new like kind of fucking flavors like are they going to do that crazy eclectic shit or are we just going to do the dance of dragons so in the end i don't know like um i think i've also had more fun kind of re-watching some rings of power episodes as opposed to house of dragon episodes but yeah i could i could definitely yeah i mean i could definitely see that i think like when you game of thrones i feel like is a bit more about it is for me a bit more, it's like event TV. I want to know what happens. I want to know the spoilers. Whereas I could see rewatching parts of rings of power and kind of enjoying just sort of the interactions between some of the more fun and fun characters, especially like with the Harfoots and, and stuff like that. Um, the, it does seem like they're kind of building out house of the dragon to be sort of an anthology series though. Right. I mean, like the fact that we're getting all this, like, you know, they've now referenced the Song of Ice and uh, Ice and Fire in there, and they brought the dagger in. It's like, I feel like that dagger could be something that we're sort of tracing through these different eras when they do, like, another Targaryen spinoff, um, like, later on. Like, they do, like, a Mad King show or something. I think that uh, that's probably... See, my thing it. is... I've always, now that I've been seeing the show, I'm hoping that they just fuck off with just doing this in a limited capacity and just use this and the dagger and all that as set up to do a really fucking cool, because we know that Jon Snow series got announced and we were all like, what the fuck? And like, (laughs) but now that I see a Targaryen series and I hear all this stuff and it's about the prince who was promised and all that stuff, he is Aegon, right? So, like, we've never really – that didn't mean as much to us in Game of Thrones. After this, it'll mean so much more, like, about, like, who he is and what happens next with the Targaryens that carries the entire fucking series forwards. And and maybe starts – a because he could be the next Aegon the Conqueror because he's going north. He's just kind of had to forge his own way. And, like, he could be the fucking rise of a new Targaryen dynasty if they wanted to go in that direction. That would be fucking dope. Yeah. And he survived yeah. fucking death. He's He's got all the, <laughs> like, he's done everything. I do. Yeah, I agree. I think now that they're bringing this prophecy in of the, the prince that was promised and all that, it does seem weird the way that show ends up with, like, Arya killing the Night King and him just going off into the, 
like across, you know, the wall and stuff or going to be at the wall. It's, yeah. It seems like this song of ice and fire stuff with the coupled with the Jon Snow sequel seems like maybe there's something else they're doing there to kind of try and retcon those last two just downright terrible. You uh, know what's worse than ice zombies, Ben? Fire zombies. Fire zombies. Poison zombies. Um, give me all the elements. Uh, Rob, you haven't gotten a, I mean, we, we kind of talked your rings of power impressions, but didn't let you weigh in on House of the Dragon yet. Yeah, actually, just to pick up where you guys were talking about, but what's next? I fear that they don't really know. I mean, uh, I remember just when we are covering all the interviews leading up to this, I think George R. R. Martin said, like, oh, it's probably like four seasons of 10 episodes each um, to kind of tell that story. So that seems kind of concise enough to do what Kofi was saying, just cover this Dances of the Dragons yeah. element. But uh, the the two showrunners, one of them, of course, and, and Kofi knows their names. One of them was a director of like uh, Battle of the Bastards. The other one's a writer, you know, from Colony, whatever. And I always was a writer. Miguel Sapochinik, I think is his that's name it. Is. And the other guy's Colony. Yeah, it's like Sapochinik, right? That's how you. That's like, it. That's the, that's, so, that's the, so the difference yeah. between these showrunners and Benioff and Weiss is that these guys are like uh, a good pairing in terms of one's more of a writer, one's more of a director. So Sapochinik is the director. The other guy, Condal, who's the writer of this. He, he was very wishy-washy, but he's like, and if people are leaving, going to future seasons, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if they're gauging the response. Obviously, the ratings were through the roof. The premiere broke every HBO record ever. And then if you believe their own internal numbers, like the, the week to week, it was like 29 million viewers or some crazy number. And so it's like, it's massive, right? So I wonder if that means they'll stretch it out or if they're going to keep actors longer than they would normally would have, the old heroes fallacy, right? Um but he was saying, like, you know, this this dynasty, this version of the Targaryen dynasty is like 150 years, right? Well over a century. So they could do time jumps if they want to extend it and cover more of that in the show. But I would almost them rather focus on this story, finish it in th- four years, and then do the Jon Snow stuff and whatever other spinoffs they want to plan to fill in other time gaps. I, I'm not sure I, I want to see the same show of an entirely new cast set 20 years later than 50 years later. That's less interesting to me than finishing up this story. Um but yeah, uh, to go to the larger conversation, um, both of these shows, the obvious things, right? They both overcame major challenges in what they are, right? They, they, they were executed during the pandemic. Um, but for me, it's more about the people involved. And we, we talked about these guys working on, on Dragon, but for Rigs of Power, like Kofi said, they're their first time showrunners. Uh, and, and both are exploring entirely new eras. Both are playing kind of cre- pretty creatively with canon. Um, and and, and from a casting standpoint, if you look at um, Rings of Power, like they that was that was one of their biggest challenges, right? They had to recast like icon level roles with Elrond, Sauron, Galadriel, and they made it work. Um, and they had to pace out like very compared to Dragon, which seems like a little smaller in scale in terms of like the and Kofi calls the talkie, but it's it's very character driven smaller groups of people, I think, and, and they're a little more connected. Whereas you look at Rings of Power, and this is one of my complaints with the earlier slower episodes, is they're pacing out multiple very separate and distinct stories between Galadriel's journey, the elves and the dwarves, and them trying to work on something eventually, the Southlands and the orcs and what they're doing, which we didn't talk about that, but the big, big, big reveal of them, uh, you know, showcasing the Mount Doom erupting uh, and how that was all set up was, was incredibly satisfying. And that really like was such a turning point for that show. And I agree with everything you guys were saying. I, th- I think that to me is a more exciting future. Um, and Ben, I think you and I were talking about this with, with, with dragon. It's like those last three episodes or so, and maybe it ties into when, when Viserys passes away and whispers and, uh, the prophecy and it's 
misunderstood um, by Allison there. I think it just kind of yeah. derails for me in terms of to like the, the darkness of it all. It's like I'm less keen on seeing the shock factor scenery, like Damon strangling his 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 wife at the very end, right, and paying no attention to the the birthing issue. Uh, the the over the top evil of Amon demanding that what's his face cuts out his eye, or Sir Kristen Cole going super fucking full asshole and and keep leveling that up, or. Or, you know, they're strong, the crazy stalker doing all his evil shit. And all the incest, of course, which is like prime Game of Thrones. And even this, the whole sequence with like the children fighting with shaved teeth and nails. It's like, do we really need all this shit? It's like, I can get it. Everyone is evil. And they're like re-emphasizing and blowing up how fucking evil everyone is. And it's like, I'm just kind of bored of that at this point. So those last couple of episodes and, and – to give them credit, like the dragon sequence was beautiful. It was a cool, e- even if predictable, the final episode was, was kind of cool. And it is more than Lord of the Rings event TV where I have to watch a Sunday night as it airs. Whereas Rings of Power, I could wait a couple days. Maybe I'll wait a week and watch two back to back. That That is yeah. the appointment in television. But I, I think I came out, of this, came out of this more excited and more happy with what they did with Rings of Power. Uh, and that was, to me, was more impressive. Um, as much as I love the production quality and, 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 and the casting and tremendous casting in both fronts. And, and I know I talked about them casting icon level characters with rings of power, but you got to give credit to dragon where they did a risky time jump and they play that off beautifully. It was so well done. Um, so just masterful acting across the board and great character writing for them. Even if I hate a lot of the stuff the characters are doing and find some of it annoying and over the top, but still, um, yeah, I'm curious at least. But in terms of excitement, I, I'm more excited for Rings of Power. So that's your yeah, comparison. That's interesting. I yeah, I think I I am probably more curious to see what Rings of Power does and where it's going than I am with House of the Dragon, just because we kind of know what the end point is, you know, with House of the Dragon. So I guess I mean, well, I, mean, I guess we know the end point actually even more clearly maybe in in Rings of Power than we knew. But for how they get there just seems so kind of bonkers at this point with Rings of Power. It, even though it's driving towards a very specific event, it feels like they're taking like a lot of liberties. Whereas yeah. with House of the Dragon, they're obviously taking a lot of liberties because there's not that much text that they're working off of either. But it feels like it's kind of, it's, you know, it's using the cliff notes in order to kind of direct you towards what's already, what's already been written. Whereas like we're getting tons of new characters that we've never even heard of and stuff in Rings of Power. Um, as far as like which show I like more, I definitely do. Like if I had to, you know, kill one of them or cancel one of them, I probably would cancel Rings of Power still, just because I I'm so excited to be back in the world of Game of Thrones, and I'm so excited to like have that experience that we all enjoyed so much from those first like five or so seasons before it, you know, kind of went off the rails in six, seven, and eight. Um, it's that was such a special sort of. I, maybe even just kind of time working at screen round and stuff too. It was, it felt like that's when we were really hitting our stride and, and getting really good at kind of, I don't know, covering TV well in a way that we hadn't in the past and, and things like that. But I'll remember, like I still remember when, like when the purple wedding happened and, you know, and Joffrey was killed, we had like an article. Like, oh my God. Wasn't that, wasn't the purple wedding? Wasn't that what it was called? It's called the red wedding. Oh, oh, Joffrey no, killed. No. Oh yeah. The purple yeah. wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Wedding. yeah. Like I remember, you know, we had like an article up that was like how, how that happened, like who killed him because it was telegraphed, even though you really had to like be paying attention and stuff. And, 
I just remember that being kind of like a really fun time for us, like in our feature team and, and things. And I get a taste of that with, with House of the Dragon and it feels like such a palate cleanser from, you know, kind of the way that how or the way that Game of Thrones wrapped up. So I've been really enjoying that appoint, appointment TV sort of experience, getting, you know, Sunday night to sit down with my wife, put the kid down, you know, I pop some popcorn, we watch that show. I've missed that. And I don't think we've had a lot of that, you know, through COVID and we're not going to movie theaters as much. Like that was, a, I, for that reason, it was really, really special. But, um, and, the, and you know, the drama and the twists are all really great. But from the standpoint of who's doing stuff that is, is sort of like out there and I, I can't not just like predict how, what's going to happen. Like, it's more like, I can't predict like where the show is going whatsoever. Like when, you know, the stranger and God, I'm totally spacing that character's name, the Harfoot character from rings of power. People are screaming in my ears right now, probably. But when they head off, it's like, I don't know what's next for them at all. Like I have no idea what's next for them. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of exciting and kind of fun um, from that standpoint. But, but yeah, I don't know. I, I rings of power kind of like, I really like warmed up to it. The first two episodes I thought, were kind of like overacted and sort of goofy. And I didn't, I wasn't really on board with a lot of the characters, but man, when like the Durin and the Elrond stuff like locks in the place and you get some of the Harfoot like drama and, and kind of the conflict there and the mystery around the stranger, once those things start paying off, I think the, the rubber really meets the road um, with, uh, with that show. Uh, I'll tell you right. One thing though, is some of the, like, as much as I don't like elements of Dragon, it executes extremely well. Um, I think Rings of Power, and maybe this is first-time showrunners or the scale of it and stuff like that, um, yeah. didn't quite do that for all the characters. And like you know, the big miss for me at the beginning is Theo, right? That kid with the with the yeah. sword. Thing. Oh my god, I, I, that stuff was unwatchable to me. Like the whole Southland stuff was just annoying as shit until like the back half, and um, and then you start to get the heart of it. You get Aaron Deer and that whole thing, and like. Uh, I think you're talking about Nori, right? Nori in the show. Nori, yeah, it was Nori. Yeah, so I'm going to say like Tori, but it's, yeah, it's Nori. Sorry, yeah. but Nori and her dad and the mom and that family and her friend, like there's so much heart there. And you get that, like you said, with Durin and, and Elrond too, like there's the, that is such in stark contrast to Dragon, where like people like bang their cousins and then strangle them and yeah, <laughs> with dead kids lying <laughs> on the floor. It's like, you know what I mean? Just another Wednesday in Westeros. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, if there's a wedding, there's gonna be a shit ton of death or some violent, extremely bloody violence. Um, anyways, I, mean, I don't have to go uh, all over that again. Okay, well, so the question though that I think is on everybody's minds is: Are you guys team green or team black? Because that's the really team, fun part. Yeah, of- I'm team black. That's that's just a ridiculous question. Just I'm team black. <laughs> I I uh, so I'm team black as well, but I have enjoyed trying to kind of put myself in the shoes of people that are team green, even though they're all sociopaths, because like, you know, I've been reading like a lot of subreddit stuff and just kind of enjoying the the debates and everything there. And personally have enjoyed kind of the way they've tried to humanize team green a little bit. I mean, Allison with Olivia Cook's performance, as well as the actress before, I mean, you know, it feels like that's a sincere character. It's not just like a power grab on her part, even though Otto. What? Uh, what? Yeah, I don't know where you're going with this. She burned everybody. She allowed parent people to burn, get burned in Heron Hall <laughs> in exchange for foot, for like foot jacking, you know, foot whoring. Um, 
We don't have to talk about Sir Otto who pimped out his daughter to a king. Uh, Kristen Cole <laughs> is a psychopath. Is like a Joker level psychopath who just snaps and just like kills people, and including almost himself at one point. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. Amon, would you, would you admire when you like trying to understand and put yourself in the position of somebody who jerks off on peasants? Like, like. <laughs> No, I, I get that. I'm not saying Aegon Amond is like, I mean, he can't even control his dragon. That thing just fucked up that poor little kid. Like, he got eaten alive. I replayed that like so many times. I was just like, holy shit, that dragon just like ate that other dragon and that kid. That's that, nuts. It's yeah. Fair. It's fair. I mean, the majority of them are, are terrible people, but I, I have felt like they've tried to like humanize Allison's in a way that, um, that I can understand why some people, if you're looking at it from the perspective of, well, you know, Rhaenyra does have these illegitimate kids, whether or not the king wanted to, like these bastard kids, whether or not the king wanted to acknowledge that or not. Like, if you believe that, like, you, I can see why you would be team green, but they are still, they are still terrible they, people. They, they, that's like the bait and switch with the audience. They had Otto and Allison have the conversation about like how important it is to have a male heir to keep the peace. Like if they don't, there is going to be war. The factions will split. There will be war. And they're kind of right about that. But then they also showcase the psycho kids. Um, and it's worse. Because it, yeah, like Amon's into kid fighting rings, right? It's not just yeah. jerking off in the bubble. Like, like it's crazy. Like he's next level back. Both of them are obviously. Um, so – you know what I'm really pissed at? Why, why Rhaenys had the chance to burn them all. That would have solved a lot of problems. I was like, please, yeah. please burn them all. Yeah, she should have cooked them. She had yeah. it right there. You know, they, this whole thing could have been over, like, right there. She had just cooked them. And she should have been the most pissed and just cooked them. After seeing somebody else get coronated, just be like, fucking cook them. They had, they had yeah. to try to backtrack on that one. And I was like, man, that shit's weak as shit. You should just, I know. Like, it's just her- annoying. You just had her run. You didn't have to have them come face to face. Just have her run. Like it would have been understandable if she just got her dragon and got the fuck out of there. But yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. What was it? So but, her uh, reasoning was that it wasn't like her her war to start. That was like kind of no, because yeah, that's what they said. And also, like I think they tried to do based on the episode. You can make the flimsy argument that she had had a kind of bonding conversation with uh, um, with Allison about like motherhood and like all this uh, okay, other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that she wouldn't at that point, you know, take a son, especially burning one alive after what she thinks happened to her son. Like, yeah, like she wouldn't have done that to another mother, like that type of deal. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But if well, she yeah, cooked Allison too, then 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 she wouldn't have had to feel that pain. But maybe that makes me a sociopath. I don't know. But if you had just cooked <laughs> the mother and the son, then nobody would have felt any pain. You know, that's I'm it. Sure. There you go. Yeah. Um, the other point I was going to make on, on the green side of it, like w- they tried to give you that hint of Otto and Allison having a point, uh, right? Um, which works you know, nicely against the craziness of Damon and all of his evil shit. But then also they have Otto like manipulating all the lords saying, if you don't join us, you're going to get arrested. If you don't break your oath to Viserys and, and Rhaenyra, then, then we're going to arrest you. And they did. And even hung one of the guys, right? So it's like they're just so over the top evil. And then so – but so is like Damon's crew and all those psychos. So well, I'm team I – mean- I, I, I'm team scales because I want the dragons just to fuck everyone up. Like, forget, forget people. Human, <laughs> yeah. Human uh, what's a, what's um? 
Vagar. Yeah, I want Vagar. I think the funniest thing I made <laughs> could made myself laugh was posting was just like a thing from the scene of the classic movie Baby Boy where Ving Rames flips out on Tyrese and beats the living shit out of him. Because <laughs> Tyrese like fucks with him the whole movie because he's like he's dating Tyrese uh, in the in the thing, he's like dating Tyrese's mom and you know Tyrese hates him. Um, but that was like Vagar. I just want to be like, yeah, the one who just like fucks up everybody. And it's just like, stop. But, you know, I was with Aegon the Conqueror. Now I'm dealing with this shit. Like, fuck this shit. I'd love to see like it from from the, her perspective because it's, it's a girl dragon. That should be hilarious if somebody just did like a book or a narration or some kind of thing. Where it was like all of this from her perspective. Like, I'm just chilling in my cave. And one day this black chick comes in. She's like, I'm going to ride you now. And she was pretty cool, but then she was like, I'm having a baby. Please cook me. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> but I, and then she kept, kept screaming, and I did it. And then I was like, fuck, man, I'm, I'm going to take a minute and, like, get over this. And then some creepy kid, like, came running in and, like, hopped on <laughs> me. And, like, next thing I knew, like, I'm, like, out doing all shit. But then I, like, chilled for a while. I was just, like, on Storm's End. I was hanging out. And then I was just trying to fly one day, and this other kid's like little dragon started burning me and shit. Like, what the fuck was that about? So I ate his ass, and then it was war. <laughs> Can I ask you a question, Kopi? And we don't have to get into this if it's spoilers for future seasons. I'm just genuinely curious because th- that big cool scene is with Damon singing to the that giant dragon, uh, Vermithor. What, what's the yeah. deal there? Because that one doesn't have a rider. Is the goal is Damon trying to t- claim that one for himself or? Um, it's not a spoiler to say that one of the biggest things about the Dance of Dragons conflict is, is as you saw in this finale, like the armament of how many dragons and which dragons you get is a chess game. That's like why Otto was like all happy when Eamon wins and he's like, oh, I didn't know he would get that dragon. Like, that's fucking awesome because he was playing the game like that early. But um so a big subplot, which could get really muddled for this show, and I'm going to be interested to see how they do it, is finding people who are eligible dragon riders. And that leads to some pretty sordid shit, because technically anybody with any kind of Targaryen blood or old Valerian blood can be a dragon rider. So like any bastard, any person you know you know that's just out there you know that any of these people sired could be a dragon rider and so that gets to be a whole thing um yeah so that's the most exciting element to me just this and how it kind of you know uh hit hints or foretells like the in the original well yeah it's like the one dragon switching sides to the white walkers right it's kind of neat yeah but um yeah just to finish before i lost my own thought there yeah so it's a two-part process right you got to find the people but you also got to find in your after the right dragons who are still dormant and like because there is an active dragon pit like under there where amon went the first time when they were teasing him in that one scene like yeah, there is right. a whole pit of dragons, some of them whom whom have been just chilling, like Vagar, like uh, uh, you know, until Lyanna came and took him, he that dragon was uh, Viserys and Damon's dad's, and so when the, when their dad and their dad's brother both died, that was the whole problem that started this whole problem is they both died before their father, and so their father had to choose the succession and didn't choose. Reyna, he chose because the eldest son's eldest daughter was Reyna. He told he chose the youngest son's eldest son 
which was Viserys. And that's what started right. this whole thing. But that dra- but that dragon was their dad's and had been chilling there since he died. And so, like, until Damon gave it to his wife, like, that dragon had, I mean, one of the most powerful dragons, the only one of the original three that Agar used to conquer the fucking country, had been just chilling there, like, under the thing. Yeah. So there are more dragons, I say all that to say. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of fucking dragons when, still in play. Yeah. Yeah, when that dragon, like, not the one Damon was, was singing to, but when, like, Damon's, you know, when, uh, like, God, I'm just, like, I'm doing, I'm awful with names today, but, like, Damon's dragon... Vagar, he's riding Vagar. Vagar, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, like when that thing rises up in that in Storm's End, like as uh, as Luke lands, and it just looks like a mountain is like, it looks like something out of like God of War or something like that. Like I, that was such an awesome shot, Um, and I'm like, I'm definitely here for it as they start doing more with these dragons because. I mean, I hope yeah, no, there's some big selling point of the show. Is like, oh, yeah. I mean, it is called a dance of dragons, the conflict. There is some pretty epic shit that goes down. Yeah, yeah. like, and some cool. shit I'm so, like, that budget's going to some pretty <laughs> specific shit, and that's going to be pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. So, switching gears, and then we'll talk to, we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about Black Panther. Um, who is the strange or who is the stranger? Is it like, is it Gandalf? Is it, is it Saruman? Like it's, it's strongly hinted that it's Gandalf, but I'm, I'm curious if that's a misdirection. And, and no, I think it's Gandalf. You think it's, Gandalf? I mean, pretty, at this point, yeah, pretty much. I think there's a line he says at the end. That's pretty much like a Gandalf line. Dead on maybe, uh, with the like, no stuff. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I think what they're doing is, because they're playing fast and loose with the fact that nobody really Tolkien never really said when Gandalf show like came to Middle Earth. He says that he shows up in the third age at the beginning of the third age, which is, you know, after the defeat of uh, when Sauron becomes, you know, the whole that whole thing after the war and all that stuff. And the ring gets, you know, the rings are done. So they say show that Gandalf showed up or showed up before that during that conflict, but they don't, but it's not so, so cemented that you can't say, because the thing about Gandalf that's different, that distinguishes him is he was like man of the people. Like he was the one who was really in tune with like the land and the people and, and the simplest folk like the hobbits, right? That's his whole thing. And because he believed in the goodness of just like everyday salt of the earth people, but it is arguable that you can do that. You can retcon the story to say that he actually showed up in the second age, but you know, he as a basically an angel, because I don't always remember the technical words for this, but as an angel, he had to figure out how to be a fucking person and to use his powers the way he did. And it took him a while And, and he did it by wandering around and, and with people like the Harfoots slash to became hobbits and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it plays too well into that. And they already did the bait and switch in the first season of like, oh, is he bad? You know, is he so hard or whatever? And so yeah, they already yeah. did that. To go back on that now, especially after all the, the visual imagery of uh, like what Kofi's saying, the way he, he hangs out with the Harfoots and he appreciates what, what will become the hobbits. But also to the simple fact of him, like the way he talks to the butterflies and the creatures of land. It's the same. Right, right, yeah. It's like – 
even the way they shot it is the same as Gandalf in the original trilogy, right? So um, it would be weird to pull a rug under that and just say, oh, no, it's Saruman. We twisted you again, you know? So He just yeah. hasn't found that weed to put in his pipe yet, you know? That's it. <laughs> once, he does, once he does that, it'll change his whole life, baby. He'll be ready to go. um okay well anything else you guys want to say about this was a very loose and kind of crazy discussion about these shows but um but yeah i mean i'm excited i'm excited for both of them to come back neither of them are coming back next year right like we have to wait to 2024 for both of them yep yeah Yeah. I i hope they space them out when they come back yeah, why did they release? I don't understand why they like Amazon released this show in competition with House of the Dragon when like they could have just kind of owned this space. Also, Amazon needs to quit like fucking releasing shows at ten o'clock at night on like a Thursday night or something like that. Because like, who the fuck is watching this show Friday morning or like Friday evening? Like, people got stuff to do on Friday night. Like, that's why no one was. That's why it wasn't event television because they didn't put it at a time that people would actually like be able to watch it. I just I don't yeah. I don't understand the release plan for like that. Like if you're Disney Plus, you're doing Andor, fine. But if you're spending like a billion dollars on a TV series based on one of the most popular fantasy series of all time, like why are you like dropping that as though it's like a like She Hulk or something? I don't under <laughs> I still do not. And that's nothing against She Hulk. I really like She Hulk, but it's like. The audience for She-Hulk is not as big as that show. You know what I mean? Everybody has an Amazon Prime account. Like you, your audience could be literally everybody, and you're dropping your show in the middle of the night on a Thursday. Like I just do not understand that. Hmm. It's a good question. I don't, I don't know what the rhyme. I'm sure there's some metrics to it, but we just don't know. But I'm curious if that question was directly asked to anybody. Like, why are you doing this now? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what? Though this whole summer, I mean, not summer, but this period was kind of wild because there were flagship shows in like all the networks, right? This is right after Netflix was doing like Stranger Things, Stranger and Things, Sandman, yeah, just crazy. Yeah. It's like huge fucking shows, right? And he had a Marvel and Star Wars show from Disney Plus, Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel. That's yeah. it. There's never been like flagship level mega shows on four or five streamers at the same time like this it was yeah, and all week control. it's, it's fucking but control. it's Sorry, crazy but no but, but you're true because you mentioned it in one of the previous conversations kobe but like the the old days of the the water cooler conversation and like you go back 15 years ago and i always make this comparison i think every back in the day every decade you had your big event show and one of them was lost but when you watch lost it was the only fucking show that everyone talked about. Now yeah. there's like seven shows every month people talk about at this level. So it's like, it's such a wild different era in terms of like the exponential growth in like prime big budget content. Um, all, yeah. all based on we're paying subscriptions for it. So it's premium and there's so much of it now, but it can't last, you know, obviously, but um, we're, we're yeah. eating good right now. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's switch gears, like actually switch gears to we'll talk just like really quick kofi and i can preview our thoughts on black panther wakanda forever then we'll do a full spoiler review with rob next week on it so this is just kind of initial impressions and then we'll have all weird this is gonna be the weirdest podcast ever we'll finish up with a discussion of don't worry darling um olivia wilde's film uh so kofi you know you spoke previously about how much Black Panther means to you and your son and being at Comic-Con and seeing it in Hall H and the mixed feelings you had. 
you know, watching Screen Rant essentially hosting that panel and, and just all of these different things and how bittersweet this whole thing is. So I'll let you lead off on, uh, on your thoughts and then I'll, I'll kind of you know, weigh in a little bit. Oh, shit. I was not prepared for how deep. Yeah, you're referencing a lot of deep shit I said about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I've had additional therapy since then, guys. Like, I'm, I'm fine <laughs> now. Like, I'm okay. Uh, I'm actually good. Um, so, like, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, my whole concern in a serious note was just it was – the whole thing about in where I think I've thought about that since then, but like the whole theme was about kind of traumatic experience and like where it goes and can you like watch something that also like not that it kind of soothes and, and is a catharsis for traumatic experience, but also like acknowledging that you're just going to keep kind of moving on with things without certain, with the loss of things. And can you do that at once and how that kind of related to like, even just seeing that panel and the trailer debut for me was kind of weirdly echoing. Um, having watched the movie, I think it's still, I, I saw, I forget who wrote this and I'm so sorry for not crediting you for your work, but it was one review today that said black Panther Wakanda forever does not have the answers. And I was like, holy shit, that might be like right on the money of like things that somebody could write about this movie and like just a great headline I wish I thought of. Um, And I think that's kind of what it it hit the nail on the head of me uh, uh, for me. There is Ryan Coogler has in, in, in certain ways, Ryan Coogler has been dealing with the theme of black trauma in all his movies since he began I had the pleasure and <laughs> weird experience of having to kind of like watch Fruitvale Station the same night I watched Lee Daniels, the butler, after I watched 12 Years, 12 Years a Slave for some like uh, critics <laughs> review thing. And yeah. then, um, I mean, that even Creed, which he made into like, if you ever remember the opening of Creed, is much more intense with Adonis being in like this Philadelphia juvenile detention center and locked up and like all these other kids and these images of lay on black kids, mostly like locked in cages and stuff like that. Like, and so he's been dealing with that for a long time. And, um, I think he never meant to deal with it in this film. And I think there's a lot of mixed grieving things going on in this film. And I don't think it, it ultimately necessarily comes out, feeling like it it knows its way and is making full cohesive sense but i don't think it needs to either and i know that's a weird sounds like a cop out or something but it's it's just true i think this film is about grieving and and the messiness of it and the trauma it leaves and a lot of other stuff and and i don't think there is any solid answers or or preachiness about it it's just you're watching the attempt to do it to just do it and i think that's yeah important in a weird kind of way. And the more I think about black Panther Wakanda forever and the fact that it's the end of phase four and all the questions, because we're into such like juvenile conversations about Marvel that maybe we're not ready for this yet, but like, I don't think, I think it, it is a good capper to phase four because I think phase four is, and I've been joking about this, but I don't think I'm joking anymore, but um, it is the PTSD saga. Like that's what phase four is it's a whole saga. And I think it, it it inevitably is that because 
of just when it when it came, like what we were all going through, the pandemic, how fucked up things got, like how hard it was to create these things, how imperfect they were, and everybody just trying to like get by and keep things afloat, you know what I mean? Even though yeah. like the films aren't at the standard and like all of that, nobody has any answers to that and it's all a fucking mess. And I think a lot of these Marvel movies in phase four have just been somebody screaming into a pillow because it's just one big fucking expression of somebody screaming into a pillow because, you know, they don't know what to do. And black Panther Wakanda forever is a lot of that, but that's a negative, but there's also so many good things. Like I was talking about it and trying to talk out loud. Cause somebody put me in a spot at a screening in front of a whole theater and, you know, about how I felt about the movie and, the first two thirds of it are pretty good as a kind of political, a geopolitical thriller slash mystery. It, it's pretty good. Um, I think it's again, a disappointing third act. Uh, and like I said, the ultimate thematic points, I don't feel like necessarily come through. There's a lot of kind of things that kind of muddle w- what the point is, but in like in the character arcs and some of the character arcs and stuff, but um, yeah, uh, aside from that, it's also very beautiful. It's really beautifully shot. I think there are some sequences that'll give Avatar a run for its money. I think yeah. there are, the performances by all of the cast members are just incredible, including Angela Bassett, who I don't think I've seen kind of own the screen this much since What's Love Got to Do With It, you know? Um and I was talking about this and we were, I was joking about this, some other black correspondents, but there's a whole subplot. I think that only, I mean, there, like I said, Ryan Coogler is a master at this of kind of making blockbuster entertainment, but also communing cultural things too. And like, there's a whole subplot in this movie, just about queen Ramonda's uh, choices in headdress and, and hair display and things like that, that are very culturally significant and, you know, that are kind of, you know, m- quite, shocking in some parts and you're like whoa and you like but only certain people are going to get that but uh yeah so it's it's kind of a a mixed bag the parts that are about chadwick boseman are very powerful and like really really fucking moving i saw um yeah but you know there's also a lot of silly shit about underwater people and and marvel and vibranium and and other stuff and yeah. the word mutant getting dropped and shit like that so you know it's weird but uh ultimately i i think the cast and the director put in there and marvel put in their best effort and everybody's genuine best intentions and effort are in place there so it it, it does do a good job of kind of entertaining and introducing new characters and Namor and Ironheart are dope. So yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. I agree a lot with what was with basically everything you're saying. There's a, I, I do think the third act is a bit of a mess. I mean, we can talk about that when we, uh, you know, when we do the full sort of review and it's not that it's not exciting. It's not that it's not satisfying. It's just kind of, it's just sort of weird. Like when you actually, they ran out of budget. They, they really yeah, ran out of budget. I mean, that's, it really, it, and it, it kind of feels like that. It's, it's just sort of feels like everybody kind of gets like put in a very like specific small area. And then, you know, you kind of have the title characters like face off while, you know, their armies fight. It's that kind of thing, but it feels so small compared to kind of what, what Namor is even teeing up earlier in the movie. Cause he's talking about how, you know, he has as many soldiers as there are blades of grass in Wakanda is a line that he has. And it's like, 
when you get to the end of the movie, it's kind of like, oh, well, I mean, this is just sort of like a normal end to a, to a Marvel movie. But it is, you know, to me, I think it was sort of a refreshing conclusion to to this phase of the MCU, especially, you know, we talked about how we enjoyed, you know, Thor Love and Thunder because it was like it was it kind of got away from this multiverse stuff. But I mean, this is like a even bigger step out of that. Like this is a very grounded, very aside from the fact there are underwater sea people and stuff. Um, it is very grounded. It's shot in a way that like some people may not take this as a compliment or not. I don't know, but it's almost like DCU in in the way that it's shot. Like it's it's very Man of Steel at times in in the way it kind of hangs on characters and. And sort of is actually like allowing people to provide like really sort of like contemplative. No, you're um, right. Like, like the gorilla close up, like yeah, handheld yeah. close up, like naturalistic exactly. lighting. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of Man of Steel in there. I didn't think about that. That's it. Yeah, I mean that's it. There's like there's shots of like of like Shuri where in particular where it feels like it's really hanging on her in a way that that is much more intimate than Marvel movies usually are where it's all very controlled and all very, you know, kind of like this is a set and there are people standing in it and, and things like that. Um, I, I kind of, there's some good, I would say sort of twists along the way or things that I think will be surprises to the audience that, that are, that probably do fit with like the state of mind of the main characters. But I think also kind of, it's like the film kind of, gets hung up in its own grief in a way that kind of fits because like, we're all sort of trying to make sense of losing Chadwick and, you know, we've all lost people like this in our lives where you're sort of left and you were helpless and you don't know how to move past that grief and you blame yourself for not being able to do more. And the movie kind of is going through that in addition to the characters, which, which is sort of an interesting thing to watch, but it, it kind of by the end of it, it just like I think you were alluding to Kofi in that headline was alluding to it like doesn't really have something overly, I think, profound to say about that by the end. I think it 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 kind of does to an extent, but it's it doesn't really line itself up with with Namor's grief and what he's trying to do in a way where it all comes together. And you're like, OK, this you know, this movie has been able to take the time to really say something interesting about about death or what's taken from you or, or things like that. Um, but I, but yeah, I mean, in general, like I really enjoyed it. I think it's, it's probably the best movie of, of the phase. I think, you know, Shang-Chi's up there as being incredibly entertaining um, and, and pretty well executed and really unique. And, you know, Love and Thunder was really fun, but because of the mix of like some just really stellar performances from some of these cast members, as well as, just the baggage that the movie was going in with and the fact that it kind of delivers, I think in terms of at least sort of settling you in this world where you as an audience member losing, you know, Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman, you're kind of situated and intimate and in with the characters in this film in a way that a lot of times we aren't because you have felt that sort of same loss that they're feeling in a real tangible way. I think that's all, uh, it was handled well enough that, that it makes for a pretty unique experience um, from that standpoint. The first, also the first five minutes of this movie are just like a real fucking kick in the teeth. Um, the way that it, oh, cause it just cold opens on, on kind of a chaotic situation, um, which I won't spoil. And then there's, they, do you think it's a spoiler to talk about the new 
Marvel Studios, the special Marvel Studios title card that they have? No, they no, they released it. They showed it, okay. or they yeah. So, it, I mean, it was reported. No, there's. Yeah. I, I I will just I, let's just keep it more general and say there the way that this it's a one of the things that's weird is how this film distinctly and heavily bookends itself with Chasmic yeah. Chadwick Boseman focused tributes. And like, yeah. like you said, it's like, and that's what I was trying to allude to before. It's like you're dealing with really heavy stuff right from the outset and like quiet too. They're like quiet stuff. Yeah. Like there's yeah. silence is a big part of this movie at points that is like utterly devastating. And you're just left to sit there and kind of with your emotions and your feelings and it starts like that and it ends like that. And like in between and then and in between there's like silly flying winged man and fish people. And like, right. <laughs> and then at the end you're back to these really yeah. quiet, like heavy, like, Oh shit. Like yeah. he's gone. You know, this is real. Like it, it, like it's done like type deal. You know, you have to do that whole settling for yourself and like, yeah. And that gets kind of weird. Cause you're like, oh yeah, yeah well, Namor, I do, but I like, oh shit, yeah, he's gone, fuck, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is, it is kind of a, it, it is a really weird feeling, but, but yeah, I don't know. I thought, I mean, my my theater was just like not since a quiet place have I been in a theater where I was so conscious of like I have my bowl of popcorn, I'm sitting down, I got my coke, I'm ready to enjoy a Marvel movie. And the first five minutes, like I knew that I could not touch those things because it was so like the mood was very, was very like intense. And when they show the special Marvel Studios thing, it's dead silent. And they're just showing these pictures of Chadwick as, you know, as Black Panther and, and stuff. And like, you know, you don't want to be that dude who just like reaches into your popcorn and start munching on it. And like, I think that was sort of a unique thing that you don't get a lot like everybody in the theater is kind of united in in sort of this grief whether it meant you know whether Chadwick meant a lot to them or not you know I'm sure not everybody in the theater that I was with like had a strong connection to that movie or something but you do you know you realize like this guy's gone he died and like the way that he died was so um like talking about Chadwick like was just so shocking because it was you know he had he had kind of kept it from the public eye I think it's like kind of then seeing him on the screen again in this way is very, very surreal and very, very unique. But, but in general, I mean, you know, we, we talked about like, how would they, you know, how would they kill Black Panther and all the terrible ways that could be done. I will say that I think ultimately the way that Chadwick is like honored in the film and the way that T'Challa dies, as well as the way that the moments that you do get to see T'Challa in the film, um, you know, like in flashback or in, you know, they, they've shown in the trailer that like mural of him, like on a wall in Wakanda, like those moments feel really special. And I think, I think you do sort of, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, he's just, he's just kind of missing in the film. It feels like there's a chunk of the world that's missing. Well, that's, the way I mean, that's what reminds the, you of that loss is what's interesting about it. Yeah. That's what, I mean, first of all, I was going to joke a long time ago, but I didn't want to interrupt you. But uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, if you touched your popcorn and scream, let's fucking go when like the Marvel Studios logo rolled in, you would have been <laughs> oh, definitely man. a fucking asshole. Um, yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, but that's the kind of intense thing. It like shows you all this stuff right in the beginning. And it's just like, yeah, you see all this awesome stuff, this fun stuff. You're never getting that again. Like this movie yeah, is not yeah, going to have exactly. any of it. 
And you're like, yeah. oh shit. And like, I mean, which is a ballsy thing to do because you're doing that to yeah, your own right. movie. And, but yeah. like, yeah, you're like, it makes you then like really strap in and understand like, yeah, there ain't going to be any, no Chadwick Boseman in this movie. Like, like yeah. Nah. And it's really fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Man. yeah. I'm I'm genuinely curious, like how you feel about it when you see it. I mean, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Like, you know, Kofi and I are talking about like just kind of what all the conflicting emotions that a person would have watching it, partially because the film is is wrestling with all of that. Um, but you know, it's a it's a great film. Like, it's it's definitely like I think a lot of people are going to go back to the theater to see it. I think, you know, it is kind of the, one of the movies we were, we've been waiting for. I think maybe it's kind of what we were hoping Black Adam would be in terms of energizing people to go back to the theater and, you know, enjoy some yeah, time over the holidays with family and I stuff. I need to see like, it again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Uh, any questions, Rob, or anything? Like, I yeah, I mean... <laughs> when you, when you, you kind of hinted there's some twists with stuff like that so it makes me hesitant to ask about some of the Wakandan returning characters but I'll ask some very general things so um, do Nakia and M'Baku get like good enough screen time compared to Shuri and Okoye yeah both of them I would say both of them are well served in the movie okay. at both a as in both emotional scenes as well as in like action and and just sheer volume of screen time they're both well well served i'd say uh it's funny you say that i wish i didn't see it but i saw just a like a a split second of a clip doom scrolling through twitter (laughs) um of umbaku like seemingly trying to land a hit on uh namor and i was like oh boy (laughs) oh yeah that's (laughs) been in recent trailers they use that and like yeah some it's been that's been out for a while i know i've been kind of avoiding it the last week or two so i know that's kind of a new clip for me but um Let's just talk about that then. Talokan, which is the big thing, obviously, they're introducing here. Um, do they explore a lot of the city or the people beyond Namor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You do. Um, you do get to Like see I said, I, there, are, there are sequences. There are sequences in this that I think will give un- Avatar a run for its money. Ooh, baby. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, Ryan uh, Coogler and I did like a great job production wise. There's a lot of amazing yeah. production in this movie. That's yeah. good. You know what? Also, what also is it's not in the third act. Music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like the not, first movie, that third act CGI shit. Yeah. No, they ran out of budget, yeah. like clearly, and I mean, and and but this is why Doctor Strange kind of suffered. You can see it. It's like they only had so much to do in the same time period, and they were like, it has to be for Chadwick, and so they put a lot. Like the first two thirds of the movie look amazing. There are sequences yeah. in this that look like fucking am- yeah, that sequence you've seen like in trailers, like uh, the whole Boston sequence with oh, like Riri so Williams yeah. and Okoye and all that. That fucking yeah. shit is amazing. Like, yeah. yeah it's really, and there's like really a whole cool. – there's just fucking spear duels in this movie that are fucking amazing. And yeah. you're like, holy that, shit. We didn't really talk about Riri Williams, but she is great. Like that. Well, that's oh, my Dominic question Thorne. too. Uh, yeah. does, does she, does she f- actually fit into the story of the movie well? Yeah. yeah, it's she's she's like the MacGuffin of the movie. Basically. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole. Oh, oh, yeah. She's not just there. Like, yeah. I don't want to spoil anything, but she's not just there. It. it she is a major part. Of, like, they actually make everybody a major part of the movie, and what the movie. And this is kind of the thing because, like I said, it's a Chadwick Boseman like eulogy, but it's also this. I mean, it's one of the sillier Marvely 
kind of basic yeah. plot of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. As far okay. as like, uh, no as far as like MacGuffin and like how it evolves, but um, you can also <laughs> clearly see, you can also clearly see why this was uh, just, this is a retrofitted story of what would have happened if Chadwick had been alive. Like yeah, it's clear, sure. like why to, they would have done the Chichala Namer stuff from the comics and why they would have done it. And it makes logical sense. And they do a good job with the plot of evolving how actions in the Marvel cinematic universe have led to this now. And they do in, yeah. in an interesting way that makes you even think that opens the door to possibilities of so many other things about even like other things with like the X-Men and, if they did like Krakoa, why there's other places out there we don't know about and other peoples we don't know about and like all that kind of shit that start to get fucked up because of, of things that have happened um, uh, in the first yeah. Black Panther and stuff. Um, and they do all that good sewing it in, in universe and making this all progress, make progressive sense. But uh, yeah, it would have been dope if Chadwick was alive and this was the story. Cause it would have been a story of two Kings with different views in the same kind of predicament and, and how they kind of, yeah. see the world exactly. differently and that shit would have been compelling like um yeah and it's still compelling now but uh it's definitely different like right. and yeah um yeah okay la- last question uh can you just just confirm for the audience here like it, there there is a mid-credit scene right uh and that's kind of it for this one yeah i just wrote this up at- sorry go ahead oh wait i hope you're not gonna say these fuckers are comic book because i don't know who they were Fucking, oh no no know. no no, this okay, is, okay. So I go, I go into my screening, right? And like the woman that is one of the proctors for the screening for the studio is there. These are the people that, if anybody's ever been to a press screening, make sure that no one's taking their phones out and recording and stuff. They keep an eye on us, make sure you know we're all we're all playing by the rules. This woman goes, "Okay, guys, just before you know, it's a you know, just so you know, there's three post credit scenes." And so we're like, okay, three post-credit scenes. Holy shit, that's pretty awesome. So we sit down there, and then the one mid-credit scene rolls, and we sit waiting for the next one, and nothing comes. And so so as, unless they're doing a little switcheroo, like for release weekend or something, where there's actually going to be more than more than one, there is only one mid I don't think there's no, one. No, there's we have a, uh, yeah. no, we have a interview. I did the uh, Does Black Panther Have a Post-Credit Scene? article for comic book like literally as the end of my day today and in it i included the answer which is it has one mid credit scene um and i i also gave a slight breakdown and warning to fans like this is not going to be like your usual marvel button scene kind of ah it's galactus over the clouds like no like it it it, again it has to do with honoring tadwick boseman and the legacy of t'challa and all this stuff so it's something different and there's just yeah. that mid credit scene. And we also had an interview with producer Nate Moore when he and asked him, like, you know, why just the one? Why did it, they do it this way? And he basically said, like, there are times, like, where it's not appropriate to just keep, you know, basically, oh, like, grow up kids, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's not appropriate to do that shit and, like, be with the comic book funniness of it all. Like, and so this was one of those times, just like Endgame and all the serious stuff that happened in there. There didn't need to be like, okay, now on the next episode of Marvel, like right at the end, like you you let that shit end. It's the end of a saga. And so this was the end of Chadwick's saga. And so you got to let that just kind of play out. But um, there is a very special mid credit scene and everybody should definitely fucking stick around for that. 
Yeah, uh, it's like it's it's one of the it, it feels like almost a return to form in terms of what like a mid or post credit scene is, where it's actually like connected to the main story and but it, it gives you an idea of where some things are headed. Like yeah, James is, Gunn didn't come in to direct the shit, you know what I mean? Like it's oh, Ryan It's not like yeah, like Pip, freaking little like uh like Pip isn't showing up with, you know, like or anything like that. It's uh it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an epilogue. It's basically like a an epilogue to the movie. Um, and if you're paying it, and if you're a good cinematic, like paying attention, you sh- it's something that kind of redeemed something you thought was going to be like a major flaw in the movie. If yeah. you're a good, yeah. if you pay attention. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, I was looking it up as, as I asked the question, and Nate Moore told uh, Clyde the same thing. I think you just quoted it or something similar. He said, uh, he, he basically didn't feel appropriate to have a stinger, and then he compared it to Avengers Endgame, yeah. like you were saying. So I guess that makes sense I mean, now. All their stingers lately have been just like celebrity cameo crazy stuff too. So I mean, it it you know with Brett Goldstein and like, like Harry Styles showing up and yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I can see why this would not have been the movie to uh, to do that. In, no, sure. and people are so ignorant. People were like, Doctor Doom was going to be in it. Like, oh my god, yeah, like Christ, guys. Yeah. It's not the it's when just Kobe like, and I were talking, yeah. when Kobe and I were talking about like sort of that gorilla cam like you know lighting. I mean, the mid credit scene is more that kind of thing than it is like a, any any credit mid credit scene probably ever before. It's quite a it's like beautifully shot. It's contemplative. Like it's it's cool. So um, okay. Well, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have a spoiler review of this next week when we all when we all talk, but. Listen, the mid-credit scene's like, you didn't get emotionally traumatized yet. Here's a little one to take home with you. Oh, Jesus. Okay, okay, stop. Um, (laughs) Okay, so you you guys have both seen Don't Worry Darling now. And I am am curious, like, what your guys' reaction to. Rewinding to when I talked about this movie previously, you know, I said, like, I had an interesting time watching it. It was fun watching kind of the central mystery unfold and... Florence Pugh gives a great performance, but Harry Styles sort of stinks it up. Um, Chris Pine was fun to watch, but you know it all kind of didn't come together for me in the end. So I'm curious what uh, I'm curious what you guys' experience was watching it. Uh, Kofi, please, please to share your thoughts first for this. I mean, there was a lot about it that it tried to be. It was like, a, I mean, there was a lot of like Hitchcockian stuff in there. Yeah, there's a lot of like. Uh, I don't know. I want to say like Argento, maybe some other stuff. I'm trying to think of people who like play with like perspective and form. Anyway, it, it it was all that it, but I think the crime in the end is it was just middling. Okay. Like it's like a two and a half star out of five movie, you know, like it's okay. And it's just okay. Um, Yeah, definitely. It tried, it was a feature film, but they tried to do this like short story, Immediate race, like imply the larger whole type storytelling t- kind of method to it, which can work for some movies, but uh, like Lost in Translation, but like not necessarily for this one. Um, yeah, the unevenness in the cast is really weird and Ooh, problematic. Right? Like, yeah. yeah, Florence Pugh is great. Uh, Olivia Wilde was distracting because I didn't, you know, I didn't need to see you in this weird hairline you had going on. Like when I know you're the director doing this kind of like hammy role, like that was a little bit distracting. Um, 
yeah, Harry Styles. There was one scene where he's just like crying in the car, saying, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like you are just drooling on yourself, and you thought about shooting shooting your mother in the face or something like that, some like rudimentary acting technique, and this is horrible. Please yeah. end this scene. So, um, yeah, and like Nick Kroll, who I didn't think needed to be in this movie whatsoever, like. Yeah, it, it's weird. Some of the acting, like some of the cast choices are just so weird. Uh, but um, yeah, it was just okay. And I never in a million years would have guessed the twist. I, I didn't think we were going in that direction. And when we did, I, it felt like they just skipped over it so much because they didn't have like a really good breakdown of how to explain it. So it was just kind of half-baked. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I I get it. I also think this is like, I'm really kind of going to be forever interested in Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis and, and the existence of this movie at the same time as Ted Lasso and like what these projects are actually about. Because I really feel like this movie is like a spouses or, or significant others, like really <laughs> fucked up passive aggressive way to say, I'm like a fucking dynamite woman. You tried to keep me like fucking locked down and some domestic shit. I'm never going to be your like fucking Idaho wife. Like, fuck you. Like I'm fucking a rock star. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and I feel like there's something really weird and ugly wrapped up in this movie, like from her personal life with Sudeikis and like, yeah, it, it's nuts, man. I, I, <sighs> It's a lot. Going it's funny. On. It makes it even funnier when you then think like her and Harry Styles are like together now, because <laughs> it's like he's kind of trapped in this like creation of her, her making. Um, not necessarily. You know what? You know what did it for me is that dancing scene. I can't like I cannot get the image of him being like kind of told to dance and then doing that weird dance and how weird that looks like out of my mind. Um. That was when I was just like, I can't, I can't with this movie, but, uh, Rob, I'm going to keep this short so we can wrap this up. Um, I have not seen, don't worry, darling. And I never, will. um, and it's not because you guys saying it's mediocre as fuck. It's because shy, the buff emailed us about this bullshit and whether or not he was fired and all this stuff, which led to me having to get on phone calls with a little wild team who told me a bunch of crazy fucking shit. And then two weeks later, they bring this fucking movie to the Venice film festival at the same time. We're doing our corporate like work retreat and all goddamn weekend. It's like, did Harry Styles fucking spit on Chris Pine or not? Why is he making out Nick Kroll? Oh, look, Florence is here, but she's not doing any press. Everybody hates everybody. Are Olivia and Harry even going out now? They look, they're not even looking at each other. They're sitting on opposite sides of the chairs. It's so fucking awkward and cringe. And then Harry comes home and does goes on tour and he's joking about spitting on Chris Pine and everybody fucking hates everybody. And then like a week ago, they're spotted together kissing again. What is going on? I want to see that fucking movie, not whatever this is. Uh, and I, I won't even get into the Ted Lasso at all. So... Um, anyways, this caused a lot of stress for me professionally, uh, and personally. Um, and it sounds like it's not even that great of a movie. So, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob <laughs> underscore. <laughs> I'm, I'm that might done. be the most accurate review of, uh, honest review of don't worry, darling. There is out there. Um, all right. Well, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the podcast. This was quite an episode. I feel like we were all over the fucking place, but hopefully it was fun to listen to. We will be back next week with a review of Black Panther. I'm uh, I'm Ben Kendrick. 
You can follow me at Ben Kendrick on Twitter, Mr. Rob Keys. Yeah, if Twitter's still around next week, I'm Rob underscore Keys. That's K E Y E S. Or yeah, I'm making some on Instagram too at Failcube. Yeah, I'm on Mastodon social now. I I booked (laughs) my. I'm on the tribal social. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. Uh, Special guest Kobe Outlaw. Me and my fidget spinner will be over on comicbook.com. You can also find me on Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture. We do it all. We do more than this show, more than your miss show, a week. more <laughs> yeah. than the other show. We do more. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But that one uh, doesn't take me after happy hour. So, you know, thank you guys for uh, having me on. <laughs> whatever state I'm in. You're welcome. Yeah. You're quite welcome. Always happy to have you. Um, all you. right, guys, we're going to get the fuck out of here. Have a great week. We'll be back next week with our review of Black Panther. Thank you.